Hi there. Welcome to On the Job with the Sweetland Digital Rhetoric Collaborative Podcast. Today we are hosts Nupuranade and myself Will Flores. Uh, talk to Shweta Banya about the insights that she has about navigating the end of student life and transitioning to the job market. So here is Sweta. Hi, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, could you tell uh, our audiences a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me, and it's a, I think it's a great opportunity for me. Uh, my name is Shweta Banya. I'm from Nepal. Currently, I'm a PhD candidate of rhetoric and composition at Purdue University, and I'm defending my dissertation in a week, for which I'm very excited. Uh, oh next, <laughs> and next fall, I'll be joining Virginia Tech as an assistant professor of rhetoric uh, and professional and technical writing. Congratulations. Thank you. Could you tell us more about your research and uh, what the dissertation is about? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my my research is my dissertation project is a comparative uh, comparative analysis of network communities and technology use of technology and crisis communications during the Nepal earthquake and Hurricane Maria. So what I it's a mixed method study in which I have interviewed a lot of uh, people who have actively responded to do these two disasters, both in Nepal and Puerto Rico. And I've also conducted a social network analysis of uh, tweets that uh, people tweeted during these two events. So it's kind of like yeah, mixed method study. Uh, and uh, so my major argument is uh, Disasters, local disasters are global issues and a lot of people uh, respond to the local disaster via social media and especially Twitter. So that's what I have found so far. And yeah, I don't think I'm explaining this very nicely. You, no, you. you're doing great. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> yeah, you're doing great. Yeah. I should be more prepared. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally fine. You are. Like, yeah, this was just a question I threw out there. You've already shut the dog talk. <laughs> I know you have a job, so you're, you're, you're great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, so kind of like I would like to expand a little bit on my dissertation. So by situating my research in disaster-affected uh, in digitally networked societies, Nepal and Puerto Rico, uh, my study, my research conducts a comparative analysis of how people created network communities, what were, uh, what technologies they used to communicate during disaster, and I in- conducted interviews with 28 participants from Nepal and Puerto Rico, and uh, who and those participants were like representative of local community, government officials. Uh, media personnel and also activists activists who were involved during Rick and Maria and the Nepal earthquake. Uh, so I, as I mentioned before, I also uh, did analysis of tweets. So I had to purchase um, tweets from a sister organization of Twitter called Neep.com. And I purchased 55 million tweets, uh, which was 35 million from Nepal earthquake and 20 million from Hurricane Maria. So I conducted a social network analysis 
with these tweets uh, and those tweets cost me around twenty five hundred dollars so it was so expensive but i was supported by uh, my university uh in our like the College of Liberal Arts provides you fifteen hundred dollars for conducting research, so and then the rest I had to crowdsource from my department people. So, Dr. Bradley Dilger and my advisor, Dr. Rick Johnson Sheehan, they gave me some of their research money to purchase this. So I'm really grateful for that. And also, I had to travel to both Nepal and Puerto Rico to gather data. So for that, also I. I wrote a lot of grants and I got two different grants to go to Nepal and Puerto Rico. So I just wanted to share that this is uh, the research sum that sounds like the, the, in two different places. And uh, but I was able to do through a lot of support from a lot of individuals. Wow, very cool. That sounds fascinating, Shweta. It, it's awesome that you've got all these grants and you already have a job and your life almost seems like you're ready for the next challenge, which is, uh, I think, the job. So we're going to ask you some questions about uh, what you've done so far and also about your future. Um, the first question is, how are you feeling about the transition uh, that is going to come to your life? You know, from a graduate student, you're not going to transition into a graduate course faculty how does that feel Uh, I think I feel it's it's a really surreal moment for me because uh, past year has been very difficult for applying a lot of jobs and that anticipation of will I get a job or not and then even though if I had a job like uh, my the decision from Virginia Tech came really early but it took me like a couple of months to finally realize that, finally sink in that, oh, I have a job and I am uh, going, no, I'm not going to be a student anymore next year. So it took a while for me to uh, kind of accept that, uh, that I have a job. And it was, it was very difficult. Uh, I think the transition is difficult and exciting, uh, both because I'm transi- transitioning from a very cozy four-year graduate student uh, mode to a faculty like our professors <laughs> in our department. So I, I feel like um, I feel very scared and very excited at the same time. Uh, scared because of the new environment uh, I have to again uh, restart everything and think about my and kind of like have that I, I don't know I think when I came here uh, from Nepal as a graduate student it was a lot of exploring exploring the area exploring grad school navigating grad school I feel like uh, it will be similar when you are a faculty because you have to navigate the university system, we have to navigate how to live in that place, you have to navigate your courses that you are teaching. I think the difference would be there would be less mentorship as a faculty, uh, because here at Purdue, when you, when we came, uh, we were trained for a year to teach, uh, teach our courses. But as I have already have experiences of teaching for so long, I don't think uh, there will be that kind of mentorship, but I'm ready to teach. Uh, I'm ready to teach uh, with all the experiences that I have at Purdue. Uh, I think 
it's a new challenge that I'm ready to take on now. And it took me a while to kind of realize that. Uh, and also at Virginia Tech, uh, there, there will be a faculty mentor who, who will mentor junior faculties like me. And there are also a lot of uh, resources and, uh, and also a lot of other uh, assistant professor faculty whom I can uh, talk with and they are so friendly and already like, you know, I'm already in communications with a lot of them and having that friendship uh, already in, in collegial environment uh, is really exciting for me. Yeah, I'm thinking about the, the fact that we as academics usually have to make that big transition over and over and over again. Not over and over again, but if you do a master's, then a PhD, then leading into the faculty position, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, that, that all sounds really cool. And I'm, I'm glad that you're bracing up and you seem very prepared for the future that is going to come to you. I had a question about the teaching and you said that you have been teaching at Purdue and now you'll be teaching. Are you going to teach the same courses? What is What are the differences that you're expecting? Uh, have they already given you the course load? Yes, I've been assigned two courses, uh, which is simpler and a little bit different uh, from Purdue. So at Purdue, I had taught English uh, 106, which is our first year writing, and also business writing, which is our English 420. And at Virginia Tech, I will be teaching introduction to professional writing, which is similar, not the same, but similar to what uh, what I've been teaching at Purdue. Uh, but the course objectives are different than Purdue, similar, but yet different than Purdue because of the institution, uh, different institution and different requirements for the students. So I'm really excited about that. And the next course that I will be teaching would be uh, creating user documents, which is, uh, I think, which is what I'm really excited about because uh, this that's a new subject that I will be teaching and it's more related with how, uh, related a little bit with user experiences and how to create like um, manuals and other stuff and directions so I'm really excited about that I'm also think I like to do uh, community engagement projects so I'm also thinking about uh, partnering with a community based organizations and uh, then allowing students to engage uh, in that in, in creating like user documents for those organizations so it's not uh, I have not prepared the course yet but I'm really I have that idea of how I want to do the course, uh, teach the courses different from Purdue. Uh, so I, I'm really excited about that. It sounds like you have your hand in a lot of kind of different approaches to, to doing this kind of academic work. Like this, just this mentioning this community engagement focus with this new class, that sounds incredible given like the focus of your dissertation and your research and how those things might transfer over. Is there any way that you're seeing your research as a graduate student kind of manifest in these approaches to teaching? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking that question uh, because uh, my research allows me to think about how uh, communities have uh, kind of resisted against disaster and how people have come together despite their um, official representations and how people around the world have come together 
as people to respond to disaster in their community and help their community so much. Um, so that inspires a lot uh, in my teaching, and that's why I am really, I'm really invested in uh, community engagement because I feel like there should be a bridge between. I know this sounds like cliche, but there should be some bridge bridge between university education and community uh, because uh, I think students should be exposed to the to the community problems and have that real uh, real-time experiences of working uh, with the community in in that what I found I have also done community engagement projects here at Purdue and in that what I found is uh, some students are really invested um, in working with the community uh, and uh, they are really they try to understand a lot about the community and really you know really want to work towards the community but some students are not <laughs> so we have to take that <laughs> both into account I think while uh, doing community engagement projects uh, because uh, even though sometimes I felt like I am more invested in um, teaching this rather than students are not so much excited about that so I think we have to take both into account and uh, from my research I, I've also taught a business writing course with focus to risk communication uh, because I thought uh, I think that sound that's really what I'm doing in my dissertation and um, asking students specifically to work and to think about disasters, to think about how they will respond to disaster and to to help them create uh, and think about materials that would be useful in disaster situation um, is really, I think the students did a really great job during that time. Yeah. And I mean, just thinking about the state of the world right now. Yeah. This very salient topic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's kind of, yeah. I'm, I'm reliving a another disaster in five years. I was, uh, mm. I was in Nepal during Nepal earthquake. So within this next five years, facing another pandemic is just like very, very difficult for me. And disaster research is also very emotional because uh, while I did my interviews in all those stuff, it's kind of like I've cried a lot with the participants because uh, you, it's kind of like not separable when you are when you have faced disaster and you know you can edit this part. <laughs> no, it's totally up to you. I feel like knowing about because we've other people have mentioned this in some of the interviews but knowing a little bit about the human aspect of a, of research and doing this work as academics like we're not just robots we have feelings and mm -hmm. we feel mm -hmm. things with our participants so it's totally up to you but i think people would love to hear this so okay <laughs> everything just to pivot a little bit you've talked a lot about your work and there's so much of it and you seem to be a very productive scholar and student. Could you talk to us about how you've managed your work-life balance and how you, whatever routine that you've developed, how you're going to transition that into a, a faculty position? It's like two grants, securing department funding. I've done it. It's not the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> so could you talk to us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, sometimes I've been like kind of uh, blamed for overexerting myself and not uh, not having any work life balance. But I think particularly in uh, the academic year twenty nineteen twenty twenty, which is which was my job market and dissertation year, uh, I think I have I created kind of fear work-life balance uh so it has been very quite very busy for me and much more busier than i ever expected because i knew from a lot of people that job market is a full-time work and until i experienced it myself i was not sure what that meant by because it required a lot of investment so hence for working maintaining work-life balance i created a eight to four schedule for myself where i'll work from eight to four p.m in my office at my university and this allowed me to have a little bit of time to go to home and cook and eat and relax and watch netflix for a couple of hours before i go to bed Uh, it is very difficult for me to work at home because i want to clean or cook or watch tv and not work so hence being in that office space allowed me to focus only in my work uh, and what I also did uh, for maintaining that work-life balance is I enrolled myself in a dance class at my university. Uh, it was a jazz, jazz one. I can oh. never dance. <laughs> I almost <laughs> failed that class. <laughs> But uh, but it forced me to do something other than my dissertation and job market search work. And every uh, three days a week for one hour, I go to the dance class. And it's a three credit, three or two credit course. So I even if it rains, I have to go because it's my class. Uh, and you had like she had my dance teacher had a strict uh, attendance policy. And so as a student, I had to follow that. So that really helped me to take some time to relax and do some body movements. Uh, similarly, in the spring, I was taking yoga classes, uh, and which was very important for my mental and physical well-being. But after the crisis, everything has been halted. Um, and also, I also tried not to work on Saturdays, uh, except for the time where I had to meet the job application deadlines. Uh, that also allowed me to break the cycle of 24-7 work, uh, which was very important for my mental well-being. Uh, so <clears throat> I make a lot of, uh, I also do a lot of like, uh, listing down on my notebook uh, and create try to create a schedule, even though if I, I fail to succeed in maintaining that schedule, even if I maintain half of it, I would be happy. So that allowed me to really... Uh, create that work-life balance i think so when you're listing were you just like i need to get this 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 done by today mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm a big fan of that uh, for example yeah for example i would write 1000 w- words a day for my dissertation or focus on um focus like three days a week on job market two days a week uh for writing dissertation but during September and October did that didn't happen I was just totally um, involved in uh, job market search in because there were a lot of deadlines and you had to fulfill a lot of you know you had to fill out a lot of forms and you had to also prepare modify your job documents to meet that uh, job criteria so it was 
a lot of work during that uh, those two three months so i did not have time to uh, look at my dissertation but i tried once in a while i tried but i wasn't able to and then they were after sometime in october in the mid of the october uh, there were a lot of skype interviews that were coming up so i had to prepare for that uh, so meeting the deadlines and then a lot of skype interviews and then i had campus interviews that came immediately after that so i it was a continuous uh, this after this and this so i had to really prepare for those things and one thing i was always i now i think and i kind of like laugh about it but i would be constantly talking in my head about skype interviews like i if they would ask this i will i'll say this if they will do that even though i have i would i had written down everything i wanted to uh, share any talk about but i would in my head i would be constantly talking about that also caused me a, a little bit more sleep <laughs> but yeah so yeah the dance classes and listing things out in being very specific about what work I want to finish I think that helped me a lot that that sounds really cool because I know you completed it is a five-year program at Purdue and you've like completed it in four and you have a job so I'm sure it was a lot of pressure in different ways um, we've already kind of moved into the next question, but we're just going to explicitly ask you what advice based on your experiences do you have for students on the job market right now? Uh, Will and I will both be on the job market next year, so it's coming for us. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the advice that I think you've already given is um, chalking out, like making lists, rehearsing for interviews over and over again even if that causes sleepless nights, mm-hmm. <laughs> planning for the dissertation in advance, because you cannot <laughs> get a lot of writing done September, October onwards. Um, mm-hmm. What else would you like to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I thank you for asking me this question. I think this is, this has made me kind of reflect on what I've done in past year. So if you don't mind, I want to walk through my experiences. So in spring of 2019, I defended my prospectus and started working on my literature review and finished it. Then in the summer, in between these, I would write a lot of grants and stuff like that. Then in the summer of 2019, I traveled to Puerto Rico and Nepal to collect my data. And also during the summer, I finished my uh, third chapter, which is my, which was my methods chapter. This chapter was not complete or it was very, very rough, uh, but I had a draft. So having those three chapters already done before uh, uh, before my I started uh, working on my on the job market was really beneficial for me because I had like around half of the work has already was already done so i could pause the dissertation for a bit and then work on the job market uh, because i think like i mentioned before uh, once you once there are so many deadlines and then skype interviews would come and then campus interviews would line up so it would be very difficult at least for me it was very difficult for me to even think about dissertation and i remember going to my advisor's office and saying like uh, i don't know what what i'm doing in my dissertation i feel so disengaged uh with my dissertation right now and he was he would say like it's okay it's okay to pause and you will 
you will again come back to it. So it was very, I think, challenging for me. Um, so in, in that summer, I again, like started working on my CV and publications and preparing my job documents because I didn't know what what kind of job doc, docs I would prepare. And, you know, like all those, I didn't know anything, any idea about it. I, as I sought support from friends like Dr. Ashanka Kumari, who walked me through her folders in, you know, job documents and showed me her preparation strategy for the job market. Similarly, Dr. Erin Brock Clarkson, uh, she shared my, her entire job market folder in she was there for me whenever I asked silly questions. So that helped me like walk, looking through other uh, friends' folders and also their materials helped me a lot to think about the genre of job market documents. And it was, uh, and then I started focusing on curating my own. So this was all before uh, the deadlines of the uh, job ads were because I wanted to make sure that I prepare everything beforehand it was it's a very tedious process and it requires multiple revisions and i remember i did not know how to write my teaching philosophy and or i felt like very very difficult to think and write about it even though i read a lot of other people's teaching philosophy i felt like okay this is what i do in my class but i don't i didn't know what i do differently so it was a lot of thinking process to think about what actually my teaching philosophy is even though i had been teaching for for a while but i wasn't able to articulate and i felt it very difficult document to write um, so yeah i closely work with uh, my advisor uh, and also Dr. Steve Parks who helped me to revise my documents and after Skype interviews started coming I practiced with my friends and also professors at Purdue created a mock interview before my real Skype interview and gave me some feedback on how should I answer uh, and after a campus interview came again a lot of preparation for this uh, based on what they had they required so again mentor from mentorship from my advisor and other professors as well as just talking and chatting about uh, campus interviews uh, from my senior friends uh, friends who have already been to uh, campus interviews and had landed in jobs was really helpful for me yeah i think uh, those were basic thing I think it was very difficult for me to take care of myself during this process especially those two months and uh, because it was a lot of stress uh, about how would I you know it's it's just as reflecting back now it's just Skype interview but it was it was so important for me during that time so i i pressured myself on on doing everything to excel in it and i i think i shouldn't have pressured myself so much so i'm curious uh it it sounds like you had your application packets almost ready before you even went on the job market which is great you know it's a great strategy to be proactive but i'm always curious about the kind of jobs that jobs that are going to come out so did you have your application packet ready for uh like for example a position that requires risk communication skills or did you have a, pa a packet ready for a technical communication position which is score tech com with ux and other things how what do you what suggestions do you have uh, based on that how many variations of job packets did you have that's a good question uh I think I had one main uh, 
I had many multiple variations of job job market documents. Uh, so I I think I had one uh, major you know my major cover letter, which were in which I had a lot of paragraphs about. Uh, so again, like when you are applying uh, to jobs, you want to see uh, are you applying for a teaching position or a research position. So obviously, I had two different variations for teaching oriented job and research oriented jobs. So those were two my two major uh, kind of a stockpile of paragraphs, I would say. Yeah, kind of stockpile of the uh, all the paragraphs that I wanted to tell in my cover letter. So when I would prepare my uh, and also I had this uh, fill in the blanks kind of uh, format. So I would say like the first paragraph would almost be similar, but I would have a blank on uh, the position, the university, and then what I want to, if it's a teaching or teaching position or research position. So I would have a lot of fill in the blanks. Even though sentences were similar, uh, I would I would know that, okay, for this particular position, I have to fill this in this particular blank. So I don't know if that's making sense, but... <laughs> no, I think that's great. You know, having boilerplates, almost templated uh, letters, mm-hmm. can, that they are so much faster to work with. No, that's a great suggestion, Shreda. Thank you. Yeah, so I think I did that a lot, and that helped me be very quicker about the deadlines because mm-hmm. I remember I finished all the November uh, job applications in the first week of November, so and I also I when I would be bored and I would have like um I would have some time and this when I cannot even focus on anything I would mm-hmm. fill out the forms and create my accounts so when I am when towards the near nearing the deadline I wouldn't have to fill out the forms already and I could just upload my uh, cover letter, CV, teaching materials, and all those materials. So that was uh, that's something I also did very quickly when I was just out of focus. Yeah. And sometimes it's very difficult for me to concentrate because you have your dissertation, you have that anxiety of job market. And also, I felt like before um, all the Skype interviews came in, I was very excited about writing my cover letter and all this preparing the job documents because it really felt uh, me as I'm very important and I am expert in I have um, those materials you know when you see those materials that describe your yourself it felt very good about I felt very good about myself during that time so yeah I, I had a lot of variations and a lot of folders and one advice I was given was uh, when you see a job ad, uh, create a PDF of it because sometimes those job ads would go away and they would remove it from the website. So I had all the PDFs of the jobs that I would be applying. So yeah, I created an Excel sheet of the job, uh, jobs that I've applied, and then what positions they are required and what things that I needed to prepare so that I know for this particular job, I I would have these many keywords. Uh, so keywords was another thing that I really looked on uh, for the, if those keywords were in the job ad, I would make sure that I have those keywords in my, in the boilerplate that I've created or, or fill, like when I'm filling up the blanks. So I think I did that a lot in, 
yeah I think those are the things that I did um, also sometimes I also varied my CV uh, based on the positions uh, and some uh, I remember some jobs required uh, you to have a diversity statement diversity and inclusive statement and some did not and um, I've seen a lot of very very variety of documents from other people as well but i made sure that everything is one page so that i was given an advice that um you don't want the committee would be re reading like 100 applications so you don't want it to be too long so i uh, made my my cover letter was almost three pages three single space pages <laughs> i don't know if people would have time to read that much so I really had to, sh and the fonts were really small uh, in margins and everything, but I really had to cut down a lot uh, and try to really squeeze everything because I was told I don't want to repeat everything that's on my CV. I want to, I think, have a, you know, different version there. So not repeating everything that's already on the CV and your cover letter is I think very important in uh, but your first few drafts are going to would would be that long and you would again as you go in writing you would repeat everything that's on your CV because that's the template that you will be following to think about your work and yourself as a scholar and yourself as, in future, as a future assistant professor. So I think the first few drafts is you really have to let yourself lose and get as much feedback as possible. That's, that's really great advice. Um, I mean, I'm so glad. Thanks for taking the time to, you know, get into the details about the letters especially and how to prepare for them. Uh, those things are not often discussed as much and I think everybody has their own way of working through it. So it's it's going to really help us and our listeners mm -hmm. to uh, learn from, from your practice especially. Yeah, thank you. I think um, talking to a lot of different people about their what their personal style is in learning about them really helped me to think about what fits for me better. And I think that uh, that will apply for most of the people that, uh, you know, thinking about what others did and thinking about your what will work for you, would I think would really be beneficial. Yeah, and that's the whole goal of this podcast too. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, this was, thank you so much. This was super helpful. Thank um, you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for, for joining us. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate your time. Especially when your presentation, like your defense is next week, you know, thanks for making the time despite yeah. that. Yeah. We really appreciate that. And good <laughs> thank luck. Thank you. It was really, thank you so much. It was really great uh, talking to you both and just reflecting on what I did. And That's yeah. Um, is there, uh, are there any links or social media accounts that you'd like uh, our listeners to know about, like a Twitter, a LinkedIn, or a Facebook? Yeah, I can email those to you. Okay, we'll have them in the show notes. Yep. Well, thank you again, and have a great day. Have a thank good you, weekend. thank you, and good seeing both of you. Yeah, bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye.